3: What up everybody? Welcome back to the Brothers Brandt Podcast.
1: I'm Rob Brandt. And I'm Rick Brandt. And we are the Brothers Brandt.
3: What up everybody? Sorry to interrupt the regular programming right here, but Rick and I have to pay the bills. So we're going to run an ad. This ad is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Episode 66 was fantastic, and here on episode 67, we're honored to be joined by the man who made us laugh hundreds of times in our living room, a man who has brought tremendous joy and humor to millions and millions of families around the world through his amazing acting skills. We met this legend in 2015 at the Brooklyn Cyclones minor league baseball game called the Salute to Seinfeld. We did an episode 22 of the Brothers Brandt podcast, so check that out. But this man threw out the ceremonial first pitch, so you know he's a big deal. Rick, would you do the honor of introducing this legend?
1: Rob, it would be my honor and privilege to introduce and welcome the Soup Nazi himself to the Brothers Brandt podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Soup Nazi actor, Mr. Larry Thomas.
2: Hey, you guys. Larry, Larry,
1: welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming on today's podcast. Now, Larry, we're gonna dive into a lot of great Seinfeld stuff. We're gonna talk about your character and how it was nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Most Outstanding Guest Actor in a Comedy Series. But before we dive into the Seinfeld part of your career, Let's talk about what it was like growing up in Brooklyn, New York, back in the
2: 50s. Well, you know, um, it's funny. I, we, we moved from Brooklyn probably around the time I was like four or five. So I don't remember too much of growing up there. I just remember going to Coney Island and going to Nathan's. Uh, back, I, you know, I don't know, young people won't know this, and I don't know when they stopped, but Nathan's used to have pizza. And Nathan's had my favorite New York pizza. And so we used to always go there for pizza. And um, uh, But I, I think the first place we moved after that was Westbury, Long Island. And uh, we lived there for a couple of years, and then we moved to Queens, Uh, And I was saying this to you guys earlier, 63-64, in Rego Park, we were like right down the street from the World's Fair and Shea Stadium. And uh, we used to go into auditorium every day at a certain hour and sing, the whole school would sing songs. And one of the songs we would sing was Meet the Mets, (laughs) because they were brand new.
1: Well, we're big Mets fans, and we've also spent some time at Coney Island and the World Fair's facilities, pretty special places there out on Long Island. Tell us, when you were growing up, who were some of the uh, actors or maybe some of the TV shows that you admired you enjoyed watching growing
2: up? Um, Let's see, back in New York, my favorite movie was Jason and the Argonauts. In fact, I once ran away from home because it was on the million dollar movie and my mom couldn't understand why I wanted to watch it like three or four times, you know, throughout the weekend. But um, I used to love Man from U.N.C.L.E. That was one of my favorite shows. And oddly enough, in 1996, I got to do a, TV, a very short-lived TV show. It was actually called Mr. and Mrs. Smiths*, And it was Scott Bakula's first show after uh, um, oh God, uh, Quantum Leap. But my episode had David McCallum in it. And it was so hard to act with him because I was just going, I was like giggling all the time, you know. And I was playing this like really like rough, you know, Middle Eastern kind of gangster character. But every time I was around him, you know, I wanted to just smile and go, Ian, you karaoke. So I love Man From U.N.C.L.E. and um I, and, the, you know, I think my single favorite TV show, maybe even of all time, when I was a kid, was The Fugitive. I loved The Fugitive. Even as an actor to this day, I still admire David Jansen's like, the scope of his whole performance throughout that series. Like, it affected me a lot as a kid when, you know, I, I didn't even think of becoming an actor till I was 21. It was all a big accident, but... When I did become an actor and started studying acting and learning what it was all about, it was really nice that his performance really held up with like everything I was learning about great acting.
1: L- Larry, did you just say your acting career was an accident? what is what was the accident? like tell our listeners I was what- majoring
2: in journalism in in college and I met this girl over the summer. And uh, we didn't quite get to go out. But I did find out from her that she was a theater major. So um, I still thought we I had a shot at a date with her. So when I was enrolling in classes, and I think I had already got gotten all the credits I needed for an AA degree in journalism. So I was kind of like just doing one more semester. And I had, I didn't have to take that many classes. So I saw the theater classes in the schedule, and I thought, wow, if I were to take a theater class, I'm sure I would see her, and it's going to be, like, really hard for her not to, you know, say yes if I'm in classes with her, right, so I took, like, acting 101 and voice and diction 101, and um, I, I just had never done it before, but I was forced to, you know, get up and do things and and although I was very nervous and shaky at it, I found it to be really exciting. And I I just I just sort of went out on a limb and I just thought, I'm I'm gonna try this. It's so much fun. And I wasn't very good at it because I had never done it before. And even some of the teachers said, you know, you might want to think of something else. I said, well, I have something else, you know, but I want to try this. And uh, just beat my head against the wall for about the next 15 years. (laughs) All
1: right, so you're beating your head. That's a hilarious story. That is too funny. Like you have to go back and like thank that woman wherever she is. We want to thank her. I'm sure millions of people out there want to thank her for getting you into acting because you had a character that was famous in Seinfeld, The Soup Nazi. And I had read that in preparation for this podcast that you were a fan of Seinfeld when it first came out in 1989. And then, of course, you made your appearance in the sixth season in 1995,
2: so- Seventh, I think. So, was I it think the seventh? Season seven, yeah.
1: Hey, listen, you would know better than I would.
2: How was how it that that
1: opportunity came about?
2: Well, um, it was, it was pretty funny because um a lot of actors in my position at that time who you know had been doing it for a long time but still just doing beg borrow and steal theater and you know not like getting any big tv credits and stuff i uh was in a an acting workshop where jeffrey tambor i was in the advanced class and jeffrey tambor was in the master's class but he substituted teaching our class from time to time and he was on the Larry Sanders show and I, I actually was under the threat of my acting teacher wanted me to get a job in like six weeks or eight weeks or something or he was going to kick me out of class so in desperation I wrote Jeffrey a note and I said is there any way I could meet the guy who casts Larry Sanders show and Jeffrey uh, was a great, he's a great guy, he's a very generous man, but he also, you know, thought I was a good actor. He used to always tell me that, you know, I did some really good stuff. So he set up a meeting with, with the casting director, and it just so happens that the guy also cast Seinfeld. So that was the lucky part of it. I, I ended up having a really good meeting with this guy, um, because of what I told you guys earlier, he, he had never met an actor before whose day job was being a bail bondsman and so that really affected him and it caused him to remember me so when when about maybe three four weeks later maybe a month later I forget uh you know they they got the script and they were looking to cast the character and um I had heard from Spike Ferriston who wrote it that I think they had we're considering uh, Tony Shalhoub, but Tony Shalhoub said he doesn't remember ever like hearing from them about it. But they also were considering a great actor who's no longer with us named Richard Libertini. And uh, I guess Mark, the casting director, just thought he would give me a shot at it, you know? I mean, he had met me. He thought I looked right um, and We had talked about me doing dialects because, you know, I have such a non all American look that in theater, I would play a lot of foreign characters. And I was, I was pretty proficient at imitating different dialects. And so just, I guess on a whim, he called, gave me a shot at it. And uh, I had this, what we used to call warehouse agents who are agents that take on anybody and they don't do anything for you, but in exchange for you getting to put their logo on your resume, so you look like you have an agent, they figure if you get work, they're gonna get their 10%. And so uh, the casting director of Seinfeld calls this little warehouse agency and requests me to come in and read for a guest spot. Well, you can imagine this agent was just beside himself with amazement, like why were they calling for me? I, you know, I was a nobody, and uh, the series of phone calls I got from this agent were possibly the funniest part of the whole story because he had to call me on three different occasions: one before the pre-read, one before the callback, and then he had to call page me uh, as I was on my way out of the studio to tell me that they had just hired me after the callback. And his voice just kept getting more and more surprised. You know, just like the first time he was like, Larry, this is uh, Mike. I don't know if you remember me, I'm your agent. And it's like, yeah, yeah, Mike, I do remember you. And he's going like, I just got a call from the casting office of Seinfeld. And they wanted, and after a while I had to tell him to stop ending every sentence with a question mark. You know, I said, (laughs) you know. Have some authority here, Mike. Yeah, I understand you're (laughs) amazed, you know, but it it makes sense to me. And, um, but yeah, so finally when he had to call me and tell me that they hired me, it was like, I thought he was going to faint. And, you know, I thought I was going to faint too, because I, the the callback was really interesting because I I didn't know there were six scenes. I thought there were only three because that's all they had at the first audition. And so I went in and thought, I, you know, I've read this once before, and, but now I'm in a room with Jerry and Larry David and all the other writers and, you know, it's a pretty packed room. And uh, I started reading. And as soon as I started reading, Jerry started laughing. <laughs> and still to this day, I don't think I've done a comedic audition where anybody has laughed as much as he was laughing. And so when I got to the end of the first three scenes and noticed there was more, you know, material, I didn't want to stop because, you know, I was sort of on a roll with him. So I read the second three scenes like kind of ice cold, just picking them up off the paper and he just kept laughing and for a second there I thought I had a shot at it and then they asked me to sit outside and wait which turned into about 20 minutes and they saw Mr. Libertini and then he left. And uh, I overheard the casting director tell Yule Vasquez and John Paragon, who played the armor Thieves, that they were cast and to show up at the soundstage by one o'clock. So I had this information that I didn't need to have really, you know, that they were going right to work. And so then they called me back in the room and Jerry gave me the oddest direction, Uh, he said, He goes, you know, I thought it was really funny, man, but I, I I don't understand why your character was so mean. He goes, could you, could you do it again and kind of like, you know, make him a little nicer in some places? And I'm thinking like, oh no, you know, (laughs) it's not the way I thought of the character at all. And so I, I went through all six scenes to absolutely not a laugh at all. I mean, crickets, you know, and. I was like literally, you know, about to just slink out of the room forever and, you know, slink back off to my my job. And as I was leaving the room, the casting director said, don't go, wait a little longer. And I'm thinking like, God, that was such a bomb. Why do they want me to wait, you know? Just hire the other guy and let me go. <laughs> and so after a while, the casting director came out and he said something to the to the extent of, we're having a conceptual disagreement in there. So just, you can go ahead and go home. And knowing that they were going right to work, I realized that that was, you don't have the job. But for some reason, before I walked off the lot, that agent paged me and I went to a payphone, and called him and he said, you're hired. And as soon as I got into the soundstage, Jerry made a beeline over to me and he said, "Hey, man, you know, forget about the direction I gave you. Just, just do what you did when you came in. For some reason, the meaner, the funnier." And I thought, "I'm gonna like working for this guy. You know, that's that's a really cool thing. I've never had the person in power tell me that my idea was better than theirs. You know." And so, wow. yeah, I knew I knew he would be easy to work for, and uh, he he was, you know. And so is Larry and you know, and everybody, they were all, they couldn't have been nicer. I mean, I always tell people it was the easiest four days of my life, you know, and it was the most significant four days of my life. Yeah. But there was not a moment of difficulty in the whole week, you know? Wow.
1: So all that takes place, you basically are the mastermind behind the soup Nazi character itself and its, and its demeanor. Uh, what what was that whirlwind like you just talked about the audition and then you guys filmed it and then it came out in front of a national worldwide audience what were the like weeks months years after that like before like you had to pinch yourself and realize that oh my god i'm still
2: pinching actually because it, it 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 is oddly enough because I'm always, you know, maybe it's because I'm Jewish, I don't know, but I'm always like waiting for the bottom to drop out, yet it gets more popular every year, and now we're at, what, 26 years almost, and and it's it just gets more and more, you know, popular all the time, and I keep waiting, when is everybody just going to forget about it, but um, so, you know, right afterwards, you uh, I didn't really know anything and I'll be honest with you there was there were a couple of people uh, on the on the staff that I actually overheard at points during the rehearsal week saying that they didn't think that was a very good script you know maybe because it was written by a a first-time Seinfeld writer you know Spike was brand new and it may have been his first solo script I don't know because he was part of the Letterman team so um and, and I guess a lot, some of the people just didn't think it was that great a script. And it's so funny now that it's considered like maybe the second best episode. And so I kind of was thinking like, well, I hope I get to do it at least, you know, I hope they don't like, you know, not shoot the episode. And then we did, and it was a, an amazingly fun shoot night, you know, it was just, and then Larry David added two very clever touches at about three o'clock in the morning after the audience left. He wanted to add two, because you know he didn't write the script, but he wanted to add two things. One of which was when she does the Al Pacino impression, originally I just yelled, no soup for you. And he wanted me to go, very good, very good. You know what, what, no soup for you. And then the other thing was, the Spanish guy I had said something like unacceptable and he wanted me to say adios muchacho so those were the two Larry Davids of of my you know. My role in that, and uh, so I actually got this great treat I got to stay till like 334 in the morning and because I, I didn't want to leave, you know, it was like the greatest four days of my career and walking through that soundstage door you know at the end of the night was like wow you know it's over and uh i i think i wrote in my book something like little did i know that the life i had walking in through those doors was gone and it would never come back and uh i didn't know that like i didn't know my life was going to change i didn't know anything you know i thought well, good. In sometime in the next four weeks, I'm gonna get a check for twenty six hundred dollars and I really need it. You know. And maybe with a little luck they won't cut me out of the episode, you know. But I didn't know much about that at the time. I had I had only done one other sitcom, which was like 10, 15 years earlier than that. I played a singing telegram messenger. And that's how I got my union cards. But For the next 15 years, I didn't really work in TV again. And uh, so I really didn't know what it was like to do a part and get cut out, which I was later to learn big time what it was like to have a great speech. And you watch the episode, it's not there, you know, (laughs) which happened on Scrubs. But um, so, but Seinfeld was also a dream in the fact that they gave me more like FaceTime, uh, reaction time and stuff than you're supposed to give guest actors, you know. You're supposed to cut back to the series regulars all the time. And Jerry, like, he, he told the editor, he said, stay on his face, stay on his face. I was told this later by, uh, I think the president of Castle Rock told me that. And Jer- Jerry sort of violated all the format rules and all the formula rules, and and gave me more screen time. You know, Larry, even it was only six minutes. You know, you were so prominent in that
1: episode that you actually came back for the for the final final episode of Seinfeld. Real quick, what was that like? Then I want to pass it off to Rob.
2: Um, it it was. It, I, I think I screamed when my manager called me about it because not only you know was it a great surprise and a treat uh, because they had never done another Soup Nazi episode I kind of thought maybe they didn't like me you know because I knew Spike wanted to write more for the character Um, he had invited me to a party he had and he was telling me, I really want to write more soup Nazi stuff. But I just don't know if they're going to let me. And, you know, three years went by and they didn't let him. And then one day I get this call from my manager and she goes, I just got a call from the casting office of Seinfeld. They want to know if you'd be interested in being in the final episode. It was like, what? You know, I just yelled. I mean, it was like, why do they want me? You know? Because, uh, you know, the final episode, we knew nothing. I mean, they didn't tell us anything about the plot. We literally got our lines faxed to us to learn only. So I didn't even know what I was doing in a courtroom. I mean, they were keeping everything such a secret. So uh, it was, you know, uh, it was incredible. And then, you know, to add more fun to it, there were 50 other guest stars all actors who i wanted to meet you know so for us since each one of us had so little to do it was like a week-long party you know (laughs) but a great party a party full of all these wonderful actors and you know it it was really fun
3: i love that i love that i'm loving all these stories larry um you know our listeners are loving them too. Uh, just, just to give you a little background on Rick and myself growing up, uh, we watched three episodes of Seinfeld a day. We would, <laughs> we, would go to, we would go to high school, then we would come home, then we would watch like the 5 to 6 on TBS, like 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. slot, two episodes from 5 to 6 while we did like homework. And then uh, later on, if we couldn't go to sleep at 11, there was always an episode on Fox. So for like seven years, we've watched like three episodes of Seinfeld and yours yours is like one of our, is is like one of the top three favorite Soup Nazi episodes.
2: (laughs) It's so funny to even think that because, um, you know, I watched so much of it before I got to do it, you know? So, So my life sort of consisted of all the seasons up till season seven. And um, uh, uh, in in our household, our routine was we would videotape, because my son was like a baby at the time, we would videotape Frazier on Tuesday, Seinfeld on Thursday, and then Sunday when we put him down for a nap, we would make lunch and sit there in front of the TV and watch the videotape and so we would always watch the episodes you know a few days later and it was kind of like taping a sporting event you know I would go around going don't tell me don't tell don't tell me what happened on Seinfeld this week it was like the no.
3: it was like the episode of Seinfeld where Jerry doesn't want Kramer to tell him what happened in the Mets game
2: yeah <laughs> it was like that in my real life you know <laughs> I don't want to know anything about the episode so but I, I didn't watch I didn't watch it first run until the parking garage. That was actually the first episode I saw um, because an ex-girlfriend of mine played the Scientologist who threw them out of her car. And (laughs) I bumped bumped into her and she said, do you watch Seinfeld? And I said, no. And she said, it's on Thursday nights, watch it this week. I have an episode on, you know? And I watched it and I just, I remember saying my, my first wife, was an actress and she was from uh, Indiana. And I remember saying to her like, that was probably the smartest comedy I've ever seen in my whole life, you know, outside of W.C. Fields. And I said, it was brilliant, you know, but I don't know if it's gonna catch on because it's like so weirdly specific and out there. And I don't know if most people, you know, outside of maybe New York City are gonna get that. You know, and she said, well, here's hope. I'm from Indiana. And they thought, it was. Fun. and I said, yeah, maybe there's hope
3: for this show yet.
2: <laughs>
3: Love that. Well, that, well, we're going to get into a fun lightning round of quick questions, uh, Seinfeld related questions. You ready, Larry? Yep. All right. Excluding the Soup Nazi episode, which is your favorite Seinfeld episode?
2: The Briss. <laughs> because, because I have two things. First of all, Charles Levin, the late Charles Levin, now was my favorite guest star in the series as okay. Shaky the Moyle. That monologue he did about the wine glasses, pure genius. And the other thing I loved about it was that the Pigman storyline taught my son comedy. I remember one night we were watching it. We may have seen it already. You know, he saw all the episodes a lot too as he was growing up. But he was, li- he was little, he was preteen. And uh, in that moment where they're talking about George, if he gets his car back, taking the pig man in his car, you know, and, and, you know, George says to Kramer, like, I don't know, you know, would the pig, the, and Kramer goes, the pig man would take you in his car. And he goes, yeah, what if he had a two seater? What if the pig man had a two seater? And Kramer goes, oh, George, get real. And you know, they're talking about a pig man. So my son finally like, gets this light bulb above his head. And he goes, you know, dad, I understand comedy. I understand why that's funny. And I said, why? And he goes, well, because they're talking about something so ridiculous like a pig man. But then he says to George, get real. And I went, yeah, that, you got it. That's it. That's what's funny about it. And uh, I loved that, that I realized at that moment that, you know, my son learned something from Seinfeld. He also learned, uh, from all the episodes, not to be a person like George, which is great. <laughs> I'm sure you guys did too. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> um, what was the funniest memory you have of filming your Soup Nazi episode?
2: I, I think it was um, when I was talking about Larry David adding uh, that one little bit where I say to Julia, very good, very good, you know what? And because. I don't know if he told her exactly what I was going to do, but we were sort of alone in the studio with the crew. The audience had left. And so I'm standing there waiting and she comes down and she kind of goes like, now, what are we doing? And he goes, just redo the thing where you do Al Pacino. So, you know, she does the Al Pacino thing, which by the way, was not Julia doing Al Pacino. It was Julia doing Jerry doing Al Pacino because she had not seen Scent of a Woman. So she does it. You know, and I go, very good, very good. You know what? And she kind of looks at me like, I don't know if she was expecting it. And she goes, what? And I went, no soup for you. And she (laughs) fell down on the floor. She like passed me, went all the way to the floor, and she comes back up laughing and she grabbed my hand. And she goes, you are so funny. And I guess that was probably like the most wonderful gratifying moment to have her tell me that I was funny, you know, and crack her up. Cause you know, they cracked each other up all the time. You see all the outtakes and stuff, but that was my only moment of cracking one of them up.
3: <laughs>
2: so I think that was the best moment.
3: That's pretty amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Now, uh, Larry, you, you've, you've probably tasted hundreds, if not thousands of soups in your lifetime. What, this is a two-part question, so I'm going to let you answer, and then I got a second part coming up here, OK? You ready? So what what is your favorite soup?
2: My, my favorite soup has always been New England clam chowder, always, since I was a kid. And um, now, since I wrote a sort of a quasi-cookbook, I have my own recipe for it. But uh, I make it the way I like it, with extra clams and not too thick, you know? Yeah. Uh, not, not too heavy, I should say. I thicken it up with cornstarch so it's thick but it's not like heavy cream thick. and uh, but you're right I have I have had the privilege of judging soup contests all over the country. So I've tasted some really amazing soups. Hold on, let me let me hold you hold you down right here. This is the next question. This is part two right here.
3: Where is the best place in the world? you've had a soup that you would recommend?
2: Well, actually, that question is, it's still the soup stand on 55th and 8th, the original place. Al doesn't work it anymore, but the guy who runs it, Dan Rubano, has uh, kept a lot of his recipes. He's hip-hopped on some of his recipes. And that soup is still the best soup anywhere. So if anybody hasn't been there yet, you got to go. I'm sure they're open because it's just a walk up, you know, you just order your soup and leave. But, uh, but other than that, I have judged a few soup contests. And I have tasted some amazing soups around the country. You know, there was this Filipino lady, uh, I forget what city it was in, but she had a soup, a spicy tomato soup with sausage. And she called it tomat sap jawa which was in in tagalog I think it's you know spicy tomato soup and I was the judge and I granted her the contest and I remember saying I didn't ever think I would grant a tomato soup you know a best soup contest but it was so amazing that I put it in my book she gave me the recipe and uh, then I was in Dubuque, Iowa, and I remember I wanted to grant the contest to this one uh, restaurant that made the most amazing chicken and corn chowder, but I got outvoted by some of the other judges that were on the city council for political. Oh,
3: it sounds Sounds like an inside job to me, Larry. Sounds like job. an inside. Yeah, how's somebody gonna turn down the soup Nazis vote? That's uh gold in my chowder
2: opinion. Is like amazing. So yeah, I love soup. I've gotten to taste some amazing soup. Um i at at the the soup stand, I mean the lobster bisque is still everyone's favorite. <laughs> the bisque. Um, but they're Their jambalaya is really fantastic. And, but even, you know, they have a great chicken and corn chowder too. They have a a great chicken tortilla. I mean, everything they make there is good. And they, you know, for vegans and people that have specific dietary needs, they've got some vegan choices every day, like butternut squash and, you know, so it's still amazing soup. 55th and 8th. If yeah. an eight. and and my book is called confessions of a soup nazi and adventure in acting and cooking that's the long title of it but i have about eight of my own soup recipes in there we're gonna get the book we're gonna get the book hopefully i've perfected it you know i where, spent a lot of time making sure that i felt they were really great where where can our listeners get the book can they get it on amazon can they yeah you could it if you just put that title into uh google you'll you'll it's on amazon if barnesandnoble.com is still out there it's on that it's on the publisher's website uh you know so it's available in a lot of places so awesome i i have 52 i think recipes in it so stuff that i used to cook before seinfeld and stuff that i developed after you know because people started asking me you know what i cook and all this stuff and i thought i need to start cooking more stuff you know but i was i was always you know since i was a little kid i was a cook because my mom was just one of these you know single working moms with a deadbeat husband and she never learned to cook she was always going to work so as a little kid, I started experimenting with different things. And by the time I was a teenager, you know, I was getting requests from my friends to cook for them. So love that.
3: You know. Love that. It's in your so, it's, it's Yeah, in your I Thanks. so I
2: have about eight good soup. I I do have a great Mulligatawny because <laughs> I always get asked that. And I took a I took a whole weekend and just practiced and switched out ingredients until I I invited about 15 people over to okay my final version.
3: I, I love the uh, embracement for, for Soup, especially after your role. Like, I just love it. Like, it's, it's awesome.
2: But I always loved Soup, you know? I mean, it, it had nothing to, It Who doesn't it was, like Soup? Who doesn't like a good Soup? I, I, I have done cameos and the, the people that order them for like someone else's birthday, they go like, oh, and he doesn't like Soup. So I always have fun with those people, berating <laughs> them for not liking soup, but I, I, there are people out there that like don't care for soup. It's crazy. It's the oh. most perfect food. Unbelievable, unbelievable. I don't wanna hang out with them. I don't wanna hang out with them. Yeah, <laughs> it's like meeting a person that doesn't like pizza. It's like, how <laughs> could you not like pizza? I just had, I had mean, some tonight. I just had some Even tonight. if you like something weird, like pineapple, you know? But you gotta like some kind of pizza. It's bread, it's cheese. It's like- Exactly, exactly. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the
3: last question. Uh, for all of our Seinfeld enthusiasts listening to this episode with the Soup Nazi, we have to ask this question. If you crumble crackers into a soup, is it considered
2: a meal? Yes or no, Larry? Definitely. I, I think soup can be a meal anyway, because I my, all my soups are very hearty. But definitely, if you're going to put crackers in there, you got your bread, you got your protein, you know your <laughs> vegetables. How could it not be a meal?
3: I I love that answer. Thank you for settling that uh, decades-long debate on whether it's a meal. I hope that uh, Jerry reached out to you when, uh, when uh, Banyan was... Crumbling crackers into the soup, and and he wanted to know if it was a meal. I hope you got he got yeah. confirmation from you that way.
2: Yeah. as fine. usual, was wrong. <laughs> he was wrong.
3: Love that. Now I'm gonna pass it back to Rick to wrap things up. But Larry, mm-hmm. I'd be remiss on this episode of the Brothers Brand podcast if uh, we didn't get you to tell us your famous line. Can you tell the Brothers Brand your famous your famous line? Can you tell us that we
2: don't deserve it? Rick and Rob, no soup for you. I'm <laughs> back one year. Yes.
1: How, how many? How many years are we banned? How many years are we banned, Larry?
2: Uh, well, I just said one, but if you sneak, you know, if you sneak off and get some soup, it's okay. <laughs> I really want people not to get soup.
1: Good, good. We love a good lobster bisque. Yeah. All right. So Larry, in conclusion here on the Brothers Brand Podcast, I have to ask your character and your four words, no soup for you, has led to some incredible career opportunities. You have appeared in Super Bowl commercials. You've been on shows such as Scrubs, Arrested Development. I love how you've taken your role and been able to promote soup kitchens for the homeless You've done so many amazing things, Larry. Tell us, what's been your favorite result from being the Soup Nazi character in Seinfeld?
2: Um, I I think being associated with a character that's really cool, rather than some actors get associated with a character that may be kind of nerdy, you know, but I, I once was being interviewed by a guy from Rolling Stone and he asked me why I embrace the character when some actors that are sort of tied to a character don't and I said well the answer to that is I'm being interviewed by rolling stone. You're not interviewing me because Larry Thomas is cool you're interviewing me because the soup Nazi is cool, so if you get a chance to hit your wagon to coolness you know why not, so I think that's what I love most about the whole thing is that is is the soup nazi himself you know is people just love the guy you know and uh that's that's a great thing and you know they they love him because he did what everybody wishes they could do like in my own real life i i can't do that you know i can't like say to somebody you know get, get lost. I don't need your money. I don't, you know, but that's what people love about him.
1: Larry, that is incredible. So spot on. You were the one who was the mastermind behind it all. So kudos to you. I know our listeners and Seinfeld enthusiasts want to thank you tremendously for the joy that you've brought into them. And Rob and I want to thank you for coming on today's Brothers Brandt podcast. So We're going to sign off and hopefully you can uh, conclude this podcast with your famous four words once more. But for all you listeners out there,
2: I'm Rick Brandt. And I'm Rob Brandt. And I'm Larry Thomas and no soup for you.
0: you